This is episode 97 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. A common growing pain for creative giants is the pressure to be just one thing in the world. To just be a doctor, or a writer, or a programmer, or a CEO, or whatever it is. The truth of it is that we're all multidimensional, so resisting that only leads to us living less rich lives. Dusty Arab joins me today to share her creative giant journey and show how she's weaving it all together. A quick plug. We just opened up the Creative Giant Campfire, our free Facebook group. We'll be having conversations about podcast episodes at the campfire, so come join us there if you'd like to stand tall together with other creative giants. You can find it by searching Creative Giant Campfire on Facebook. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com forward slash giant. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm excited to introduce you to Dusty Arab. Dusty is the CEO and Creative Director of ThinkCharm, a digital agency providing online business management and marketing services for mission-driven creative businesses. Focused on creating more connected communities by building better businesses, Dusty's work cuts across industries through fearless storytelling, relentless honesty, and a more natural approach to marketing. Dusty is a classic example of a creative giant. She's an actor, a musician, a small business owner, she throws princess parties, she's an intersectional feminist, and she's the mother of two kids. What makes her unique, though, is her boldness as she moves from idea to doing it lickety-split. You can find her everywhere at at DustyArab on Twitter. Alrighty, so Dusty, thanks so much for joining me today and for the great work that you do. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, so in the time that I've known you, let's see what all you've done. You've been a part owner of a coffee shop. Um, You have been the founder or co-founder, I believe is the founder of Princess Parties. Yes. Uh, let's see, you um, have been involved as a freelance copywriter for several startups. Um, you've also happened to work with Productive Flourishing as well. And now you have your own uh, marketing online business. Is that correct? That is correct. Did I miss anything in between all of that? Because you went back to school for a little bit. Yeah, that was pretty short-lived. Um, <laughs> I, d- I did one term to finish up my associates, and that was about it. Uh, 
no, I think that's everything. All right. And the reason I wanted to start that way is not to show that you're all over the place, but because one of the things that I've found to be the most interesting things about you is how quickly you weave in and out of these um, career moves and land on your feet and do something differently. So, you know, I met you when you were a freelance um, copywriter, right? You had a, a you had a, a solo copywriting business. So, how did you get started in copywriting in the first place? Um, because someone told me it was a good idea. <laughs> I had actually uh, I'd been blogging about six months, and it it had gone very well. I had had a decent amount of traction. I had several thousand subscribers but I had no idea how to make any money as a writer because I was 22 and just clueless. Uh, so I actually got on the phone with uh, Ash Amberger and was like, hey, how do I make money as a writer? And she said, you should be a copywriter. And I was like, uh, what's a copywriter? So then I went through some copyblogger tutorials and two weeks later I had my first client. So... Tell us a little bit about that. Cause I always love going back to these origin stories of like the first time someone paid you to actually do their, co- their copywriting. Cause if you've never done copywriting before, it's really two different things. There's a lot of different things, but there's two really hard parts about copywriting for someone else. One is you have to catch their voice. Mm-hmm. But two is you have to say some things that generally they would be too uncomfortable to say about their own work. Right. Um, because generally when we write in, unless you're a good copywriter yourself and you really get in there, like I know, cause I've done a lot of copywriting for myself. It's hard to remember to say all the things that you need to say to convince someone or not to convince, to show someone, um, you know, your value proposition to show someone why they should care. So on and so forth. So, you know, here you are two weeks later, you took the copy blogger course, someone gives you money, you get your first gig. What's that like? Uh, well, it's actually kind of a funny story uh, with my first gig. I had I just put out a shingle on my website. I emailed my list. I was like, hey, I'm doing this now. And uh, my first client paid me a whopping $12 an hour, which I mean, previously I'd been a barista. So, you know, that was, that was pretty good money at the time. And uh, it was actually, it was more of a ghostwriting gig really than it was even a copywriting gig. I ended up doing all the copywriting and all her sales pages and everything but it was, it was kind of an interesting uh, kind of situation because she didn't want to get on the phone and talk. We did everything via Skype. And I was like, okay, whatever, no big. It's my first gig, so I'm clueless and I don't know anything. And I was helping her write this relationship book called The Fairy Tale Formula. And <laughs> I, I worked on this book for her for like mm, three months and uh, we'd had a pretty good working relationship. And once the sales page and stuff was done, you know, it kind of came to like a natural close. But towards the end there, I'd asked her a few personal questions and uh, come to find out I'd been ghostwriting for this 19-year-old stripper writing a book on relationships. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, after that, I vetted my clientele a little bit more to ensure they were qualified just because, you know, I wanted to make sure I was doing good work for, you know, people with, you know, strong, strong value systems and everything. And uh, I was a lot more careful about what I sold after that. <laughs> So let's pause real quick because you and I are familiar with what the difference between copywriting and ghostwriting, right? And there, even in ghostwriting, there's, you know, ghostwriting where someone will call you up and I, you know, as the ghostwriter, you'll talk real time. But anyways, I'll let you explain it so that I don't butcher it. What's really the difference between copywriting and ghostwriting? And what are some of these things that we're floating around? Sure. So copywriting more specifically is geared for sales. So it's more like, 
the writing you'd find on a website or something like that. Whereas ghostwriting, it could be for a book. It could be a blog post. It could be whatever the client wants done in their voice. And honestly, ghostwriting is, that's probably been about half of what I've done over the years um, just because I have like an acting background. So that's come in really, really handy there. Yeah. So, and specifically there's conversion copywriting as well. That's really geared for sales. And sometimes we call copywriters who edit, who are copy editors. We call them copywriters. It's very confusing out there for a writer. It's hard out there for a writer, right? It's hard out there for everybody. So I'm joking there. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit more about how that acting career plays into the, the writing career that you got, because that's an unusual sort of jump. It is. Well, I mean, I'd always, like, I mean, theater and music were definitely my first love um, before I started college or any of that. And I've done a lot of it. I've done, ooh, I think close to 60 shows now, um, whether I've been on stage or off or directing. I actually just got back from directing drama at a summer camp off, off the Oregon coast. And that was a really amazing experience. But uh, what I found is that the more writers I connect with and that I meet with, they have a very strong tendency towards being introverted. And especially for paid writers, they're, a lot of them, their biggest thing is that they'd love to just be able to write. They don't really like the sales process. They don't like having to get on the phone and talk with people like, because they feel like that interferes with their ability to write and get that work done. And that is absolutely not how I work. I am very social. I'm very extroverted. And for me, the acting background influences that in that really when I'm ghostwriting for a client, like I sit there and usually it takes me, I'd say 10 to 15 minutes of listening to someone and then I can write in their voice. And then I just monologue as them until whatever I'm writing is done. So have you articulated how you do that? Like, do you work through that or does it just come intuitively to you? Um, For me, it is pretty intuitive. That said, I do create a lot of templates to work with. Um, structurally, I feel like good writing, um, very often, especially when it comes to various kinds of sales writing, like I do a ton of email marketing funnels and sales pages and like the whole launch sequence. So there's a lot of different pieces of writing that typically are structured in a particular way. Now for me, I definitely geared things towards relationship marketing and, using conversion tactics because of my background working with tech startups, um, particularly the landing page company I used to work for. So I'm used to being in that B2B space. So it's, it's interesting in that like the, the process of writing as another person feels very intuitive for me. Like, I mean, it's just, it's stepping into a character role. Um, I would, I would approach it, you know, just very like, you know, like, like I would taking on a character of some sort. And then I place that on top of all of the templates, all of the sales language I'm familiar with. Um, As far as anything particularly structured to help me like really nail down their tone, I do have a pretty thorough branding assessment that I have them fill out as soon as we start working together. And a section of that involves identifying their key vocab. And people aren't always great at doing this on paper. Usually it's, you know, whatever their natural speech is. And it, it takes me getting on the phone with them to, you know, unearth a little bit more of that. You know, when they love something, what does that sound like? When they hate something, you know, what kind of adjectives and modifiers are they using? So it does depend a little bit. But I would say for the most part, it's, you know, it's based on these templates, these systems that I already know work, and then structuring it to fit the client. 
without naming names, who's been the most challenging client or person to ghostwrite for? Most challenging to ghostwrite for. Um, and why? Hmm. You know, honestly, with any of my ghostwriting clients, those tend not to be the challenging clients. It's people who want really heavy conversion copy, which is why I've stopped taking on those clients because they want it to be really, really salesy in a way that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. Um, I want it to feel very genuine and very authentic. And with anyone I'm ghostwriting for, it's always been the case that they're more focused on ensuring their personality and their brand is perpetuated in that. So I know I didn't really answer that question, but my ghostwriting clients tend to be my favorite clients. So. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about the detour um, to princess parties. Like how'd you come up with that idea? Um, What happened? And then uh, how did you wind that one up and why? Right. Um, So I'd actually taken a little bit of a break off from writing, um, mostly just because I was in a place personally where I was exhausted and I just didn't feel like I could take on client work. So I went back to college for a term because I was considering um, actually teaching high school drama. And so I went back, did a term there. And during that time, I was also volunteering at my local high school and I was helping work on the musical that they were putting on. And I was helping with the costumes in particular. We costumed 60 kids for Pirates of Penzance. Uh, so that was uh, both amazing and exhausting. Um, but while we were doing that, when it came to the end of it, we were cleaning out the costume closet because, I mean, their, their program has about 100 to 150 kids involved in every production. So over the past, you know, 20 years, they've built up a lot of costumes. So while we were going through that stuff, I saw that there were these three Disney princess costumes that were exactly my size. And at the time, my daughter was five, and I looked at those and thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to go dress up like a Disney princess with my five-year-old, and I am the coolest mom ever. And uh, so that was the initial thought. But down at the community theater I was performing at at the time, somebody made a joke. They're like, you know, you can actually get paid to do that, like show up as a Disney princess to kids' parties and stuff. And I laughed in their face. I was like, no way. That would be the best thing ever to actually get paid to go do musical theater and dress up like a princess. Are you serious? Uh, And then I was reading duct tape marketing. (laughs) I I had finally picked up uh, duct tape marketing and I was reading about this, I think it was a furniture company who they launched something on Living Social before they actually had the product created. They just wanted to test the idea that way and see if it would work. So I was like, huh, I could do that. I could test that. And uh, so I put it up as a test on Living Social. And the next day I'd sold 40 parties. And uh, then I brought on some of my musical theater friends and suddenly we were doing princess parties every weekend. <laughs> fun times, fun times. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, very challenging, very, very exhausting, but Uh, It was definitely a really fun side project. Um, After about a year, I gave the company to the gal who ended up coming on as a co-founder with me um, because I just, I couldn't keep it up. It was too much in addition to taking on like another tech client and getting back into the writing space and everything. So it just, it didn't make sense for me to continue doing that. But I do still like busk and uh, occasionally volunteer at parties and libraries and things like that just because it's fun for me. So all listeners, listen up. Dusty Arab. Princess party, sometimes available. 
<laughs> so do you, is this kind of like the Iron Man suit where you kind of have it like a princess dress like on you at all times, just in case it happens? <laughs> you know, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't true because I totally have my costume. I'm, I'm visiting L.A. with a friend right now and I do have it in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't figuring you were going to say, no, Charlie, that's not how it works, but that is in fact how it works. Alrighty. So um, let's talk about your brand story real quick, Dusty, because um, many of us find it hardest to do, hardest to do what we do for others for ourselves. Right. And <laughs> describing what we do and so on and so forth. And you've got this very, varied background between princess partying and ghostwriting and teching. And then, you know, um, there's also some um, side work that you're doing on intersectional feminism, right. That you're doing How, how do you weave all of that story together and how do you tell, talk to people about that? Well, I mean, it's, it is definitely thinking about it less so like it's on a one dimensional timeline. I feel like where a lot of people get caught up in brand story, where it starts to trip them up is they feel like, oh, I'm going to box myself in. I don't want to just be one thing. And I, you know, admittedly, that's something I used to worry about a lot too. But anymore, like I know that I can't have a conversation about intersectional feminism with someone unless they understand why it's so important to me. And, you know, and I've written about um, some of my involvement there and, you know, what specific life experiences I've had that it has made that so important to me. But I also know that that conversation doesn't necessarily matter to someone who's hiring my marketing agency, for instance. And, uh, you know, and that used to bother me a lot. But now the way that I've kind of come to terms with that and just built it as an integrated part of my company is we actually give 10% of all of our profits to organizations working with women um, in, in various ways. So that's, that's something that because we've been able to build it into the company model, I feel less pressure. Like I need to be all things all at once. Because for me, I mean, the acting, the writing, all of these things in the broader context of my life, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, I'd be interested in all those things. So from an outside perspective, they, you know, they can look convoluted, but realistically, these are all part of like my greater like life story and my greater brand story. So as these things, you know, continue to evolve, like it's really more like it's not stepping off the path. It's like taking a side road that makes a lot more sense. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, like with the acting in particular, um, when I was younger, it was, it was just a fun thing to do. And and even still, like um, next year, I'm, I'm actually planning on doing the Pat auditions in Portland. That's the uh, Portland Actor Acting and Theater Alliance. And I don't think that that is terribly far off brand for me um, to go and be like and do some professional acting in Portland. I've done a little bit of professional film and things like that. And I'm coming to a point with my agency where things are getting more self-sufficient. So I don't have to be involved every step of the way. Now, I love marketing. You know, I love, well, no, I don't love marketing. I love my clients. I love working with people who are making a really, really amazing impact on the world. And I don't want to let that part go. But it is what pays, you know, that's what pays the bills right now. So it's going to enable me to follow those passions and things. And I honestly think that as I get to be a better actor, I become a better writer, not just for my clients, but eventually I'd like to, re to write um, my own creative nonfiction. 
And I think that these are all things that contribute to that. So the thing that I would like to at least talk a little bit about is your age, right? I'm not going to say exactly how old you are because that's rude, but you know, (laughs) um, you're, let's say, can we say in your mid twenties, is that fair, Dusty? I'm 28. It's okay, Charlie. (laughs) Okay. There we go. Um, so you're 28 and you've packed a lot of living into those 28 years, right? Um, where do you see yourself in three to five years that's different than where you are today? Um, three to five years. Does anybody still think out three to five years besides you? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, to be honest, like I have, I have some goals um, that I'm finally starting to check off, like getting into international travel has always been important to me. And I mean, I bought my first international plane ticket like three days ago. So that's big. That's got progress being made on it. Uh, eventually I'd like to help start a theater company. Um, I'm talking with some friends and that's probably going to happen over the next year. I want to build a tiny house. Those things are kind of in motion to start happening. So right now I feel like I'm making progress on a lot of the things that were really important to me. So, I mean, three to five years, you know, maybe I'll have a published nonfiction book or a traditionally published one, but you know, it could be that something else takes priority. So at this point, I'm just, I don't feel like it's important to put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, be achieving something bigger because I feel like I'm working on all the big things right now. What would most excite you to have done in the next three years or so? Probably cut my first album. Cut your first album. Tell us a little bit more about this because this is the first time we're talking about albums now. Yeah, totally. Um, no, I, I mean, music was my first love. I wanted to be a singer when I was a kid, all that good stuff. And uh, I've been, <laughs> I actually, I got asked to audition for a Blondie cover band uh, late last year um, after karaoke, which was pretty surreal. And I went and, I went and auditioned with them and uh, the schedule didn't end up working out, but that was, that was actually a really cool experience to just kind of go through that and, you know, go hang out with a garage band and experience what that was. Cause it was a really good reminder of how much I really do love music. Um, and same with the summer at this drama camp, like all the counselors and staff sang with the choir and I just had an absolute blast doing that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really just getting back to my roots and getting back to the things that I've always enjoyed. So it's kind of like a big why not for me. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to highlight some of that, I have a feeling that that, that was kind of how things were to go, because this is actually quite typical amongst um, us creative giants, right? Because we don't want to be focusing like, there's this one thing I want to do. I want to write this one creative nonfiction book and then I'll be happy. Some people have that drive, right? Um, but a lot of us want to be like, well, you know, I want to do a little bit of the acting and I want to do some music and I want to have my marketing company. Oh, and then there's this, you know, speech that I want to give about intersexual f- feminism. And then I want a TED talk and building tiny homes. Right. And the thing about creative giants is like, we actually do it right. Um, in, in a weird way. And so I just wanted to reveal that because I think a lot of us put pressure on like, this is one thing, there's one way I need to be in the world. And you don't, mm-hmm. you could be in the world in multiple ways. Absolutely. And I completely agree. I think there's so many people who put so much pressure on themselves. Like it's, it's so funny. We're getting ready for, um, my 10 year high school reunion is happening in August and I'm seeing so many of my friends putting so much pressure on themselves 
about like, oh, you know, I haven't accomplished more. You know, why haven't I been able to to do all these things? You know, why am I still in my parents' basement? You know, because my degree wasn't, you know, the magic pill everybody told me it was going to be. And for me, like, on the one hand, I'm like, dude, chill out. You're going to be fine. Like, <laughs> keep, keep working at it. It's going to be okay. And on the other hand, I'm like, what are you guys worried about? Like, I'm 28 and have two kids and I'm doing okay. Like... I don't know. I feel like so many people put like this unnecessary amount of pressure on themselves to meet these completely arbitrary deadlines and that they've just kind of set up in their heads. And I know for a lot of people, it's going to be marriage and kids just around the corner. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of over that. So like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, check that off the block, you know? Right. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids. My kids are awesome, but I think I'm done. (laughs) Well, yeah. And and that's the thing is, I don't know where, 20 somethings like, you know, the thing about it is adulting is hard. It really is. Um, and your twenties are those ages for really figuring out how, like figuring that out and not putting so much pressure. But for some reason we think we should have it figured out by the time we're 30. Right. Uh, right. and it's more like you're figuring out how to figure it out. That's really the point of the twenties. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then you go on and, and, you know, I, we have some other, mentors that tell me, well, Charlie, here's, here's what you learn going on. And so, you know, I'm not there yet, but still, I, I agree. There's so much pressure um, mm-hmm. on us, but then we reach 40 and we think we're supposed to be at a certain point. And then we reach 50 and we think we're supposed to be at a certain point. There's no certain point that any of us are supposed to be yet, you know? Right. So let's talk about some of your personal and professional challenges here. So you get a lot of things going on. You always have had a lot of things going on. Um, what's, What's been the hardest challenge or the hardest perennial challenge that you're still having to sort of step up and stand up to face? You know, before I would have said, I, even six months ago, I would have said figuring out how to be the parent that I want to be and manage a company. But I finally feel like I've come to terms with that and figured out how to swing that okay in a way that feels right to me. Um, right now, I feel like the biggest challenges I'm coming up against are, you know, all the, all the challenges that come with starting to bring on people and run a company on a bigger level. Uh, up until January, it was always just me. And occasionally, I'd, you know, I'd bring somebody on for a little bit of temp work or whatever. But I mean, so far this year, gosh, my, my company's like ranged up to 12 people. Um, not, no one full-time, but, you know, managing up to 12 people at any given time. I've had to fire two people. Um, some clients haven't worked out, you know, during that while we're going through growing pains and, and a lot of those things, like they're just things that I've got to take credit for be like, Oh, that was a bad choice. I should not have brought on that client. That was a horrible idea. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, it's been, it's been a money thing too. It's, you know, been like, it's better to give a refund, cut your losses and, and just start from square one again and then keep looking and figuring out not just how I want me and my company to show up in the world, but the kinds of people I want to work with so that I can feel really good about how they're showing up in the world too and helping them to do that in the best way I know how. So figuring out all those things and just things that come with, you know, being a CEO, um, that's definitely been the, the big persistent challenge over the past year. What's been the most unanticipated of those though? The most anticipated? Unanticipated of those challenges. Unanticipated. Oh my goodness. I understand why people don't want to hire millennials. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about that. 
oh my goodness, there are just so many people who I'm, I'm throwing my generation under the bus here, but I just, there's so many people who act so entitled and have no work ethic and no integrity and don't know how to meet a deadline. And I just can't like, I've, I've just always been somebody who, when I want something like I go and, you know, and I bust my balls till I get it. I mean, like, it's one of those things. Like if you want something, you go and do it. You don't say you're going to do it. And then, you know, and, and fall flat on your face. Like, I mean, I understand things come up. I get it. I've definitely fallen down on things. I have screwed up. But the thing is, is I'm really, really good at saying, Hey, I screwed up. Can I fix that? And I feel like they're having I mean, the, the two people I fired this year, those things were what they had in common. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of generational challenges going on where we will soon be in the place where we will have four working generations in the workplace, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Four working generations. And that's a lot of different psychographies and ways of being in the world showing up all at once. And on the one hand, we can overplay the generational thing, but on the other hand, there is a big difference. I mean, you work with a, with a senior like Gen Xer and um, they, they just have a different way, largely sociologically speaking. Now, obviously they're always outliers, but there's a different way in which they can orient a lot of times than young millennials or the net gen coming up. Right. Right. I absolutely agree. And I mean, and, and that's something that I'm finding too, is uh, I'm watching, like I have, I have a very dear friend who's in her mid forties who it's so frustrating to watch her. She's trying to get back in the job market after being a homemaker for the last, you know, 15 years. And she's ridiculously qualified. Like she's worked for Microsoft. She helped deploy windows, things like that. She's got a great PR track record and companies won't hire her because she's a little bit older. And I just, I find that endlessly frustrating to watch happen because frankly, like if I, if I had the budget to hire her, I would hire her in a second because she's so motivated. Like she's been there. She's already put in the work. She knows what it means to you know, to go through these different challenges where so many millennials are like, eh, I don't know if I should take that gig. It's awfully entry level. I'm like, well, you're 25. It should be entry level. Like, <laughs> yeah, You have entry level experience. Right? <laughs> right. So maybe take the entry level job. Seriously. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from. You know, when I'm working with clients on that, it's, it comes up quite frequently is, um, you know, or, and I'm not saying a, I'm not going to pick on any particular one, but it's just different ways of being in the world that um, we're having to come to grips with. And it's just, I think, interesting, a little bit funny, right? That, you know, you're 28 and you're like, ah, I can't hire people in my age bracket. I just can't do it. It's true. It's really agonizing. And I mean, granted, there are millennials in my company. Like the, the majority of them are now, but it's been so... I've had to be so much more careful and so much pickier than I thought I would have to be. And that's been, that's been challenging to get over. So if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work from this episode, what would you want that to be, Dusty? I, I would just say that, you know, change, changing gears is okay. And in a lot of, a lot of situations, it makes a lot more sense to do that than to stick with what you're doing when it's not working. Dusty, thanks so much for joining me today. It's always wonderful to talk to you and I appreciate you sharing your story here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Charlie. 
Okay, Creative Giants, so you heard it from Dusty. Changing gears is okay. Take a look at your life or your career or even just a project and see in what ways changing gears might actually drive you forward faster than sticking with what you're currently doing just because it's what you're doing. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.